Quick question right out of the gate. So do you scrape your crease sliding from the goal line to the top of the crease? Or as I've seen a few people doing lately, sliding side to side, like post to post, no right or wrong. And unless, of course, you're so deeply tied into your routine that considering a change would totally mess up the universe. I'll ask the guys in a little bit. Welcome to In Goal Radio, the podcast about goaltending, but not specifically for goaltenders. Some great feedback from coaches who are interested in learning about the position, and I believe we have a question or two coming up. I'm Darren Millard. Today, more on that feedback with listener questions. I'm lobbying hard for this to become a regular part of the pod as I've made it a personal goal to ask the founders of Ingo Mag about something that they can't explain, something, so to speak. David Hutchison in just a little bit, but first, Kevin Woodley recently joined me for some time with Bill Ranford. He is the man with a world championship, a Stanley Cup, and a Conn Smythe trophy on his resume as a player before going on to a two-time Stanley Cup championship career as the goaltending coach with the Los Angeles Kings. One of the more interesting things about Bill is that his style was nothing like how present-day players stop the puck. And style is a word that has such a strong presence in the goaltending vernacular. Here's Bill Ranford on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Take the next step in this journey in talking to goaltenders. Uh, Kevin Woodley and Darren Millard chatting with Bill Ranford of the Los Angeles Kings. And and Bill, let's start at the very beginning of, of your goaltending life. And when did you get involved in the position and what made you want to play goal? Well, I think it started back uh, when I was a youngster in uh, Cold Lake, Alberta, when my dad was in the military. We had uh, a friend by the name of Derek Thurl, who was a goalie, and I think I just became fascinated by the equipment. And, uh, you know, I think it was probably at a Canadian tire that I got my first set of pads. And remember their uh, blue and white pads that I was down in the basement uh, taking shots at a, at a very young age. So you were a base brat, born in Brandon, and then traveled around the world. When did you start taking the game seriously, and where was that? Oh. <laughs> I think I always, that, that was probably a little bit of my downfall. I think I always approached it seriously. Uh, you know, it's, it's something, it's just the way I approached uh, sport in general. I, uh, you know, I played a lot of baseball growing up, uh, soccer. Um, I think the different thing, the, the, the road for me was a little bit different because uh, um, I, the major part of my minor hockey was actually played over in Germany. So uh you know, with, with a, a very small group of kids and, and having to travel all over Europe in order to, uh, to play hockey. So how did you get scouted to come back and play in the Western League? Well, I basically, uh, it was a little bit of a, a journey. Uh, I came back for my two years of Bantam hockey in, uh, I was in Germany from 74 to 79. And then my first two years of Bantam hockey were with the Portage Terriers in Portage. And then uh, we got transferred to Summerside PEI, and uh, that was my first year midget. And uh, you know, back back in the uh, you know the early '80s, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of guys coming out of the Maritimes, uh, you know, from as far as being scouted. And so it wasn't really till I went back. Uh, we transferred the following year to Red Deer, Alberta. I was uh, on the base outside of Red Deer and uh, started playing for. 
for the Red Deer Optimus Chiefs. And uh, Dave Manning was the, the head coach at that time. And um, back then, we uh, probably worked real hand-in-hand with, uh, with Lethbridge in the Western Hockey League. There was a lot of, a lot of uh, players that were coming out of Red Deer uh, through John Chapman and going in, into, uh, into Lethbridge. So I think that's where it probably started, where I started getting recognized, just because a lot of scouts would come see the Red Deer team due to that relationship. I I want to jump in there. The one thing as sort of more the modern guy in this conversation, or I guess not, not the, not the young guy, but I wonder about like, did you ever have a goalie coach back then? Nope. Nope. Uh, the goalie coach was my dad. He was the one that used to help me out and, and, uh, speak my game. And, um, but, uh, no, I, they didn't have uh, a goalie coach till uh, late in my career. What was uh, what was it like tutoring yourself then, and how would you get through those ups and downs? You were, you really relied on your partner. You know, uh, as much as you know you are in competition with each other, um, you, you you relied on your on your partner to you know for feedback and and uh, you tried to help each other out, and, and I think that's. Uh, that's the thing that's kind of changed. You just don't see that as much anymore. Um, you know, uh, every team has had, has, uh, one goalie coach, if not, uh, uh, a goal, a head guy and a development guy now. And, and also the inter- introduction of goalie coaches with, with most of, uh, you know, the CHL teams and, and your, uh, your, not only your college teams, but, uh, USHL teams. Goalies and partners don't really have a reason to talk to each other anymore because they've got so much support. Well, you know, I think they, they still have that camaraderie, you know, when they come, come back to the bench for, uh, for the drink. And a lot of times they sit beside each other in in the dress room, but, um, you know, you still, there's that union's always going to be there, but as far as maybe that aspect of relying on them for help, uh, I think now that most teams have goalie coach, you, you don't lean on each other that way as much. When you look back, what what would you have changed about your game, your style, your approach? What would you have told yourself? Oh boy, that's a that's a it's a difficult question. I um, I'll tell you what I think the uh, you know the the goalie that I that I was was probably due to the those uh, sleepless nights when you're trying to to figure it out yourself. Um, you know, there's nobody really to lean on but yourself. And, and uh, you know, that probably made me a stronger goalie. I think, you know, you get into situations where sometimes uh, goalies don't grow as much as they should because they use their goalie coach as a little bit of a crutch. And here I am as a goalie coach saying this, but uh, I, I agree that uh, there's there's times that you, you've got to let, let your goalie just grow on his own a little bit. And uh, so I think that's, that was the positive thing for my career, but I think the negative is there. There's a lot of nights where I where I could have used another set of eyes, um, you know, to pick on thing, pick up on things that maybe, uh, you know, was was lacking in my game. And I think today, the just the the more the understanding of reading the game um, through video, um, you know, we didn't we didn't have the video to look back at 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 your at your clips and say, oh boy, that was a bad read there, or what was I thinking there? Uh, we didn't have that luxury. You know, the game was over, and and a lot of times you were just it was on, uh, 
you know, on your own personal memory, what, you know, what happened and hoping it happened that way or, uh, or you usually had to watch the goals because that's the only thing you'd ever see on highlights for the goals against. And you tried to make your adjustments that way. Were you nervous? Were you, were you one of those brooders before a game? Um, uh, I, I think I, I was, uh, I wasn't one of those guys that you couldn't talk to. Um, I, I always felt that the game was, was hard enough as, uh, as it was to worry about all these different superstitions. Uh, there's no doubt I had a plan going into, into games of how I needed to, to be ready to play the game, but I tried not to get too caught up in little, little things that if everything didn't fall into place, I wasn't going to go out there and play well. I, I, I just found the game was tough enough as it was to worry about uh, a ton of superstitious type stuff. Now, you obviously played the game, Billy, totally different than how it's played now. Can you walk me through the transition from Bill Ranford, the goaltender, to Bill Ranford, the goalie coach? Um, I think it's, it's um, one thing that I've always enjoyed is teaching the position. And if you want to be a good teacher, you constantly have to evolve, watch other goalies, watch other goalie coaches and what they're doing and find uh, something that works for you. Um, but I, you know, when once you get to the top level that, that I'm fortunate enough to be coaching at, at now, I still miss, you know, the earlier part of my coaching career when, when I had the, the extra time for the development and the teaching. And now it's, now you, you, you certainly get more time with your second guy to work on that that teaching component but your top guy it's a lot of it's now done through video and it's it's more of maintenance with your top guy and and that's why you know i really still enjoy uh working with top end guys in the summer because you know that that that, that love for teaching is, is probably the thing that still pushes me each day in terms of style, how did you like the modern aspects of the game? Was there anybody that sort of helped you coming out of the league and sort of transitioning into some of the different things in that gap between playing and how the game's played now? I think it was just, you know, uh, I, I think first of all, from, uh, you know, the, a lot of it early on was on my own. I think when I first, uh, what the year I retired, you know, I, I interviewed with Vancouver and, and, you know, they basically said I didn't have any experience. And, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, I just played 15 years in the league. How could I not have any experience? But the thing that I, the experience that I didn't have was, was being a coach, being a teacher. And, and um, so that transition just happened slowly with uh, working with, um, you know, the, the Burnaby slash Coquitlam Express in the BC Junior Hockey League. And then um, where I think my eyes were really opened up was uh, when I, uh, Dean Chanel, you know, Dean was a Hockey Canada guy, and I just saw the way he organized his practices and, and um, the organization uh, organizational aspect of it. Um, that's where things really changed for me. I started making sure I, I had practice plans. I started uh, building a, a drill book, you know, a little bit of a portfolio slash drill book uh, and resume. And then the following year, when I when I joined the Vancouver Giants with Don Hay, 
um, I was blown away. I, I walked into training camp with Don and, and Don had everything from day one through 20 already ready and raring to go. And so that was another level of learning to be organized, have a plan. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's where, where things started to kind of change for me and, and learning to be more of a, a teacher and, but also being organized, uh, and, and just being, taking a more professional approach to what I was doing. So what is the foundation of Bill Ranford's goalie teaching? Uh, probably, uh, the same foundation that I had as a player, attention to detail and work ethic. Um, those are the two major staples of, of who I am as a goalie coach. And then, um, you know, number three is, you know, obviously you got to start getting into the technical side, but every goalie that, that joins, uh, you know, what do you, whether you want to call it a stable or whatever it is that, that, that I've worked with, uh, the number, th- number one thing that we always talk about is, is attention to detail and work ethic. And once we get past that stage, um, then, then we move on to, you know, tweaking, um, you know, some of the technical side. If you look at the guys that have gone through in the, in the 13 years, uh, I'm definitely not a cookie cutter guy. My guys don't play the same. I try and play within their abilities. that got them there because obviously they got to this level for a reason. Um, and then I just try and help them uh, get better. And so I have one rule, one rule only, and that is what they're doing is, is crossing the hockey games. That's when I change them. When people say Bill Ranford teaches this style, what is what is this style? I don't have a style. There's, I, I don't have one. I, all my goalies are different. You know, you look at uh, the, uh, the four guys that have come through this year, Peter Budai, Al Peterson, Jack Campbell, and Jonathan Quick. They, they are all different in their own ways. But if the one trait that I want you to see them is, is there that, that they have detail in their game and their work ethic? So, what's the detail? Take take me through the detail, maybe between between Quick and and Jack, those those two guys, and and wh- where do the details differ? They don't. the The details that I want are hitting your spot. Uh, you know, post save recovery is is not lazy. It's up and get to your your next spot. Take information in. You know, uh, consistency in your reads. You know, I don't want you to play play a, a guy walking out of the corner five different ways. We want to have a consistency okay. the, the way way we uh, handle uh, playing a guy from back of the net. I want it to be the same every time. You know, obviously there's going to be slight adjustments here and there, but I want consistency and detail to what they do. And like you said, Bill, but you don't force them to both do it the same way. And that's where not being a Correct. cookie cutter comes in. You know, obviously uh, a guy like Jack that's got uh, three or four more inches on Jonathan Quick in traffic situations is going to look over top more than Jonathan Quick's going to be able to. Jonathan's going to have to sometimes go to phase two and looking off the hip just because he's he's a smaller goalie. Um, uh, Peter Budai has got to use... Um, you know, his knowledge were his experience because he's not a, a, a big guy. So we rely on his experience of reading plays and, and anticipating what's going to happen. You know, then we've got a guy like Cal Peterson that's new to the league. 
Um, there's going to be detail in his game, and but there's going to be a lot more talking about uh, the opponent that they're facing, the sh- different shooters, um, just from his lack of knowledge of the league. But all these details, uh, if there's attention to it, is going to make them uh, a consistent goalie versus a roller coaster goalie. How much of your job as a goalie coach now, Bill, is you know been there, done that, the experience, especially for a guy like Cal Peterson or or any of them, in fact, just to be able to sort of tap into the knowledge base you have, not just as a as a guy who played in the league and won cups in the league, uh, but also won cups as a coach. Like, how much do you rely on on that experience with these guys? Well, I mean, the fact that I played and I've been in situations. I think helps, you know, you don't necessarily have to have played in the league, but you know, there's, there's some scenarios where you're going into a a game seven and it doesn't matter um, how well you've been playing up to that point. There's going to be things that come into your mind that, you know, it's game seven. Everybody's, everybody's watching. Um, You know, it, it's probably going to jump to another level. You know, because I've gone through it, I can relate. There's there's games where a guy doesn't play well and just you 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 weren't seeing the puck well. I can relate to nights like, like that where you know what? There might be a game where like, you know what, you just weren't there, you know. So why are we even looking at video? Let's scratch it. Let's go back to you know, go back to the basics, get our detail and practice. You know, if there's something in the game that had to be corrected, I can still do that verbally. I don't necessarily have to show them on video, but it's just, uh, you know, and sometimes it's a, it's a gut feel for me where I feel that, you know what, it didn't matter what happened in the game. You're just, your mind wasn't there. So let's throw it away and start over and, and get get back to the good thing. How much, how much a coaching bill has allowed you, you know, we talk about when guys leave the game, they talk about wanting to, you know, stay involved in it. What's the difference between being a coach and 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 being a player? Like, you still feel you still get that sort of energy of being a big part of whether it's a win on a day on a, on a given night or a championship run. Do you still have that same connection? Nah, you'll never have the same connection. That I think that the toughest thing that that um, that you go through is when you're the player. When I when I was in the net. To a certain extent, I was controlling my own destiny. But as the goalie, as the goalie coach, as soon as they step on the ice, it's out of your hands, and and it's it's frustrating some nights because you know you go downstairs and everybody, you know, the goalie hasn't played well and everybody's looking at you, you know. Um, but you know that that goes with the territory of being the the goalie coach. And it's your job to figure out why they didn't play well. But the bottom line is, as soon as they step onto the ice, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Bill, you went through the transition from from Boston to Edmonton and stepped right into the fire. Can you take us through that transition and and what it was like to almost immediately be leaned on you know, for a, for a team with championship pedigree? Um. I mean, it, it was. I was fortunate enough that you know when when the trade happened to to go on the uh, the cup run with with uh, going from Boston to Edmonton in '88, and 
the fortunate thing is I, I uh, you know, Daryl Ray didn't have the opportunity to play a lot uh, that year. Uh, Grant played most of the games, but down the stretch, they felt Grant was struggling due to fatigue. So I, I got to play, you know, seven or eight games uh, down the stretch. So it gave me an opportunity to play in front of, you know, guys that I somewhat idolized when I, when I lived in Red Deer um, as a midget. But um, it also taught me, you know, the, the level of, of compete and professionalism that, that this organization had. And then to, on the, you know, step two of it, to go through a Stanley Cup run and understand the highs and lows that you go through in a Stanley Cup run, um, you know, that, that was probably the, the greatest lessons I learned. So when I, you know, was thrown into the, into the fire uh, two years later, um, you know, I was somewhat prepared, um, you know, from seeing it. Uh, living it was a whole other other story, but at least I was pre- prepared to to uh, understand that there are going to be highs and lows um, in a playoff run. You know, from game to game, from series to series, uh, there's going to be some ups and downs, and and the guys that uh, don't get too high and don't get too low are the guys that are usually the most successful. So, how was it? Or how different was it when you were actually living it to compared to what you thought it was like, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, the, the, the pressure, um, you know, we started off in that Winnipeg series where we were expected to win and, and, uh, you know, the, the probably the dealing with the media is, is, um, you know, until you've played in a Canadian city and have dealt with the media in a Canadian city, um, you know, that that's the biggest obstacle that you're you're going to have to deal with um, when you're when you're expected to win. We, we apologize for that. No, there's no. Hey, that's that uh, that goes along with the, the business of being a professional athlete. There's nothing to apologize about about it. And. And it's just, it's just a fact that that's what you have to deal with as a professional athlete. Some guys handle it well, and some guys don't. <laughs> is, is that part of the gig now? Like just, you know, I mean, I, I maybe not quite the same spotlight in LA, but certainly there was when you guys were on cup runs is helping these guys deal with not, not so much how they deal with it, but just how to manage it, how to make sure you approach it the right way. Oh, for sure. We had, we had very little uh, on our two runs with, with LA. You know, especially the first one, we had very, very little, uh, let alone playoff experience, uh, or even, um, you know, NHL final experience. That's the one thing that, that, uh, I learned right off the bat. Um, until you've played in a Stanley Cup final, you have no idea the, the, the pressure. You know, there's the first round, there's the second, there's the third, and it increases as each round goes. But until you've been in the spotlight uh, and played in a final, you have no idea. It is a whole new animal when you get to that point where you're uh, dealing with pressure. Uh, every single move you make is under a microscope to the whole world. Because, you know, it's, it's one thing playing in a Canadian city where there's a, lo- there's a lot more media. 
to where you go on the world stage where everybody is watching and every mistake you make is scrutinized. Um, that's, that's a whole nother level of pressure that you have to learn to deal with. In your con Smythe year, when do you, maybe they did from the very start, but did you feel that the team trusted you where you hit that, that point where it was, yeah, they're all in on me or, or was it a gradual buildup? Well, it, it was interesting because we got, we got pounded in, in the, in the first game and I didn't, I didn't play very well. Um, and, you know, obviously we got down in the, th- in the series three to one, but uh, a, a thing that John Muckler did that uh, uh, after, after we got pounded, they, you know, he came in the next day and it's basically, you're our guy. We're not changing. You're going to be our guy. And they put a video on with, you know, kind of a, a montage of save after save of, of, of what I accomplished that year. And, you know, basically it was kind of a, a rallying point where, listen, if we're going to, if we're going to do anything, this is going to be the guy that's going to do it for us. And that was in front of the whole team. That was in front of the whole team. And it was, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm a young guy and, and, uh, you know, we cut, we had, you know, guys with, with four Stanley cups, you know, under their belt already on, in that group. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was a little bit of a defining moment for me where it's like, basically, um, you know, and I can say this now, uh, my, my, uh, my, my main goal was to prove the media wrong. That's, that's where my focus changed. I wanted to prove that, that I deserve to be, be there. And, you know, in a quiet manner, uh, throughout the rest of the playoffs, I wanted to prove to myself, my teammates and, and the media that, that, uh, you know, jumped on me after that first game that, uh, you know, where's Grant Pure and, and they can't win without Grant Pure. And, and that was, you know, my, my rallying point. And, and that was the, my teammates rallying point. Um, you know, I played 60 some games that year and proven that I could play in the league. And, and then it's stage two, you know, you have to prove that you can do it in the playoffs. Well, that's a great story. And have you ever gone to that card or played that card as a coach bill or talked to a head coach? Cause I think one thing that, uh, the general fans might underestimate is, just how important, and I think the media underestimates it too, not that it's necessarily our job, but you know, when you have a guy t- that he and the rest of the room believes that he is that guy, um, amidst sometimes a lot of questions from the outside, just how much that means to the guy between the pipes sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I remember in our, our uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna name names, but, uh, person will know who I'm talking about and, and we had a private conversation about it but in in the finals because uh we won the first couple of games the whole focus was on how to beat Jonathan Quick and I felt that was unfair but that was the storyline and so you know what what sells is a great storyline of 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 this this young guy coming out of nowhere um, and dominating, but they kept trying to poke holes in his game, and 
there was nothing said about Marty Brodeur at that time. And so I just, I, from my standpoint, I, I was just trying to defend our guy. And, and the answer that I got was, Hey, we're just, this is what, this is what our, our, our people want. And, and if it starts sliding the other way, we're going to start going after the other guy. But I just felt in the moment, uh, there, it should have been equal, you know, trying to poke holes in both guys, not just one when it's down to the final two goalies. But um, that that wasn't the storyline. So, uh, you know, I had to, you know, bite my tongue and be humble about it and, and try and keep my guy going and, and win their first Stanley Cup in 40-plus years. Did you talk to Quickie about that during during that period as well? No. I, the one thing I, the, the thing that I tried to, uh, you know, just because I did have the experience of, of going through a, a, a few Stanley Cup runs, you know, obviously with Edmonton and then again with Washington was I, I tried to deflect any media aspect of things away from him as much as possible. He was the, the quiet, quiet guy with the hood on that didn't say a lot. And that's, that's the, the storyline that everybody, you know, wanted to know what what kind of guy he was and and you know what he was he was just that quiet guy and that's the way we wanted to have it nobody makes heel down toe up saves anymore like you <laughs> obviously haven't watched me practice lately i still got it same thing <laughs> i was gonna ask but you no, i know you stepped out on the ice how much old school comes out when you got to fill in in practice uh all old school i try not to go down because it's too hard to get back up <laughs> uh the uh, the current uh, modernization of the goal equipment just your your take on it and and how much uh do you agree with it or do you do you not agree with it um i think i i love the uh the weight of the, the new equipment i love the protection of the new equipment with the high density foam um guys really don't have a you know a lot of these young guys coming up now really don't have an idea of how much that puck hurts and used to hurt in the old equipment. But, um, I also feel, um, that, that, uh, there's a couple of things, you know, the art of catching a puck is gone that, uh, I know they're now looking at. Uh, I hate the idea that, uh, I love the glove saves. I hate the idea of two blockers. I think that's mm-hmm. something that there is probably going to be the next stage that they address. Um, and I still think uh, I do not like the uh, from the chest on up on on the chest protectors. I still believe they're way too big. Just on the glove save part of it, uh, Bill, people had to learn how to catch the puck because if you didn't catch it in the pocket, it hurt too much. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that that is that is a big thing. Well, and the problem is, it used to take us, you know, four months to break in a new glove, and then when it <laughs> Then when it then when it finally broke broke in, it would hurt for the next two two months after that to catch the puck. But uh, now guys are you know some guys are changing gloves every month or every three weeks. Um, it's it's just completely changed and 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 I think because the gloves became so have become so light, uh, the protection isn't as great. So these guys have gone to practice gloves, and then I think the introduction of the beefed up practice gloves is where we've we've kind of transitioned transitioned into the double blocker where 
all of a sudden the guys were getting hurt with the beefed up glove that wouldn't close. And now you got guys that, that are using those gloves that, uh, they're, they're going lighter weight, but they won't close. And it's just like the guys using two blockers. So how do you handle that as a coach? Do you, do you try and talk to your guys out of that? I try. I want, I want my guys to, you know, it's the, uh, it's the, the Daryl, Daryl Sutter school. He, he wants his goalie to take a whistle as much as he can. And, you know, so I want our guys to catch the puck and stop the play and reload and get our guys organized. And, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's always a topic. Um, but you know, when guys are starting out and Bantam hockey on up and they're using these new style gloves that don't close, it's, it's, it's hard to get guys to change. You talked, Bill, earlier about enjoying the summertime and the development time. Because, like, I know, as you said, talking to goalie coaches around the league, like, it really is about maintenance for your top guys with such little practice time in a season. When you get on the ice with some of the younger kids, is there anything or any advice you could give to goalie parents or maybe youth coaches about how we get back to active hands and making glove saves? Um, I think as far as, you know, the, the summer development, I, I – for me, the biggest thing is kids have gone hockey 24-7 and, and they've gotten away from playing other sports, uh, you know, playing soccer, playing baseball. I mean, I I would, you know, the biggest thing why I caught, I caught the puck and used my hands way more than you may see goalies today is I played baseball and you used your hands and, and it was just more natural to catch catch the puck from playing baseball. and, and I just wish kids would take a little bit more time off in the summer, play other sports, um, you know, be an athlete, because I think that's the thing that you're seeing that's starting to change more in the goaltending position. Um, the rules aren't, aren't, aren't allowing this blocking type goalie anymore. Um, you, you have to be athletic, and, and, I, and the way you, you become athletic is to play other sports. Um, you know, and that's, that's one thing that I, I talk to young kids about, get out there, try other things, um, become an athlete. And then, you know, as, as you get closer to your season starting up, then you start get, getting back into it. There's lots of goalie schools and that sort of things that you can attend to, to sharpen yourself up. But I still believe that, uh, um, the top guys, you know, in the league now are, are athletes. And that's, that's one thing you got to focus on a little bit more. Do you want to be a head coach or are you Me. really, re- yeah, no. Or are you really, no, no, that's, a... why not? Um, I, I, you know what, for me, um, you've, you've got to, you've got to have a little bit of a, a hard edge to you to be a head coach. You got to be the hammer. And, um, I don't know if that's in my personality. I've got an edge to me, like, uh, you know, with my goalies and especially as guys are coming up, I'm, I'm going to be hard on them, but, uh, I just don't know if I have it in my DNA to be that, 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 that hammer that, that head coaches have to have. And I, and I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoy, um, you know, I, it gets relied on in my position, um, as a the goalie coach slash assistant coach with the Kings is. I think just because I've been through so much with this this group and as a player, um, I'm a guy that they can use to talk to 
and I'm not going to go, you know, running to the coach or running to the general manager and said, they said this, I, I, you know, I've got the, I try and have that trust of, of the, of the players that uh, I'm going to get their message across of what, what they want to the head coach or to management in order to better our team. That's a great answer because there's so many people who are trying to climb the ladder and, and the, the head coach is the be all end all and not enough people just enjoy doing what they're really good at. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy what I do. I mean, there's, there's a lot of tough nights and, um, you know, that's tough being away from the family as, as much as I am. Um, that part has been really hard, but, um, you know, you still gotta, you still gotta want to learn and, and you still gotta love, love the job. And I don't know if I, if, if I would as head coach, I see what uh, the head coaches that I've coached, uh, with go through. Um, at this point in my life, I, uh, you know, I think due to the fact that I was a goalie for 15 years in the NHL, that, that pressure, uh, I don't think I, I want to go through that pressure again, and I think that's what the the, the head coach probably has has that that one on one pressure like like a starting goalie, and and I, I just don't know if I'd want to go through that again. Billy, do you have a favorite save? Well, that's obviously I have a favorite save, and it was probably what I was known for. The stack the pads is probably one of one of my favorites of of my time, and obviously, you can never argue with a great glove save. Yeah, and you just don't uh, the glove slate the the old splits glove save that you don't see anymore, <laughs> and, and the and a good a good a good stack uh, are probably two of my favorites. Not gonna lie, I love it. Nice. Thanks for doing this, pal. Nice. Uh, from Brandon to Summerside, two of my favorite places uh, on the planet and uh, on the West Coast as well. You got, you got it covered, man. Yeah, coast to coast and over to Europe. Got her all covered. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Billy, uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Bill. No problem. Billy's gone off to dinner on this road trip. Uh, they'll be on the road whether you're listening to this three weeks from when we recorded that thing. It's such a extensive road trip. But uh, uh, Woody, just your takeaway from that uh, that interview that started from when Billy was a young kid and and continued to it's right through his goaltending coaching days. Yeah, uh, to me, it's the it's the Muckler video and sort of going into that room and making sure that everyone knew that Bill Ranford was their guy. Um, I see it so often, even up to the NHL, we hear coaches go with a win in your in philosophy when you've got two guys playing well or um, make public statements in the media about maybe not, you know, having complete faith in the backup and then maybe not playing them as often. Like what you present publicly and how you sort of define those roles, how you sort of treat your goaltender, like confidence matters. It mattered to Bill Ranford. It allowed him to... Uh, you know, dig out of that hole, not worrying that the next goal could be his last goal. To me, anything you do as a coach and a head coach that undermines that ability as a goaltender is a negative. And it amazes me that even in the NHL today, we see head coaches still kind of do that, undermine their goaltending and then wonder why things don't go well as a result. 
So if it works at the NHL level in a negative fashion, imagine what it does if you're doing to that your, to your kid in Bantam or Pee Wee or heaven forbid, even lower down the chain. And it's a process, right? Because John Muckler shows that video. The series didn't turn around then. Edmonton was down 3-1 in that set after the Dave Ellett overtime goal, and then Billy found his rhythm. So it it took a while for everything to come together. Well, and that buys him time, right? Like, he's not going into each game worried that one more bad performance is the end because he's got that confidence. It allows him to sort of dig out from under that hole because he's not worried about the next goal being the last goal. He's able to just kind of keep plodding along because he's been given the faith that he's the guy. Let's bring in your co-founder of Ingle Magazine, Dave Hutchison, who uh, joins us now. Uh, Hutch, play off of uh, what you heard from Billy. Uh, for me, it was the uh, the attention to detail. It's the second week in a row now we've heard a professional talk about the importance of the details. Uh, Thatcher Demko, of course, talking about making sure you've got five good reps and uh, and then get out. And I and I think Billy, when asked about his style, uh, said really it's about the details for his goaltenders. And how often do we see in, in younger goaltenders, even junior goaltenders, you know, how fast can I get through this series of movements? Uh, play so many reps through that you're, you're playing poorly and, and not at your best. And, uh, and, you know, the old adage is practice makes perfect, but I actually think it's practice makes permanent. So if you're not, uh, if you're not doing good reps, you're just uh, getting really good at doing poor reps. And so nice to see that's what the pros are doing. And I think it's a great lesson for minor hockey goalies, for coaches. Uh, Kevin? Yeah, no, I uh, practice makes permanent perfect. Practice makes perfect is another one that we've heard from our old friend Mitch Korn over time. Uh, I think part of that goes to head coaches in terms of setting up drills that allow your goaltenders to perform the way you expect them to perform in a game. If you're rushing them from one rep to the other, you can't expect them to keep up and still maintain the form that they want in a game. I think some of it goes to the goaltenders too, and we heard that from Demko. Uh, when Billy talked about his transition, not getting the Canucks job, um, even though he'd had all this success uh, between the pipes. Part of what he did was sort of go to school on the modern game. He worked a little bit with Ian Clark, who's now the Canucks goaltending coach, and we've seen him instill that in Thatcher Demko. You know, and in Jacob Markstrom, big part of his season this year is sort of learning, ironically, at the age of 29-30, what it really takes to be a pro, and one of those lessons is always making sure you're having good reps, that Five good reps are canceled out if the next five suck or you do them sort of half-assed. And the importance of those details is something I think we'll hear from top goaltenders right on through as we continue having these discussions around the league. Okay, interaction with goaltending and the community has been a staple of uh, you guys at InGoal since the inception of the the magazines, and that carries over to the podcast. And we've got questions from the audience. And the first one, I'm going to ask two here because I just one just jumped into my mind from from the age of Pee Wee up. And you guys talk about good reps and focusing on the right things in practice. How do you balance that? And I'll start with uh, with Hutch because you have a son playing the position. How do you balance that between trying to stop every puck in practice to to making the saves the right way because I've heard from goaltenders uh, and players say he, he he hated getting scored on in practice. That was such a, a staple of Dominic Hasek. Uh, and and then you've got the other side of it where you where you want to work on good habits. So Hutch? Sort of two answers. You know, I've been lucky enough to to work with a number of coaches that, that are 
willing to work with the goaltending coach and and realize that a lot of things that aren't good for for the goaltenders on the ice actually aren't really good for the players either. Uh, you've got to set up a situation where things are game-like for everybody. And if you're ripping through flow drills at uh, too high rate of speed, you're, you're not duplicating what's happening in a game either for the players. So, um, you know, things like chopping off the end of a drill by not going to the net and going after a rebound because the next, the next players have to come in, you know, that's not good habits for the players either. They've got to finish their reps properly. So I think those things really support goaltender development. Um, but yeah, goaltending is a mental game for everybody, even at the youngest levels. And, uh, and you've got to work with your kids so that you can establish some success in practice. So whether it's focus on a particular challenging shooter and be sure that's the guy that you're going to, you're going to stop if things are coming a little too quick for everybody else, focus on a particular skill that you're working on at that moment. But you know, I, I still do believe that a well-run practice for goalies and players makes it possible for both to be successful. And we've heard this from the NHL guys over the years as well, Hutch, um, a little bit of both. Like uh, if you're working on something new, if, if these rush drills are coming too fast and too frequent for you to reset, the goaltender just has to take the mindset of, okay, I'm skipping this one. Like you got an empty net. Will I reset for the next one? Because these rush drills are coming just way too fast for me to keep up with. We've heard that from guys like Jimmy Howard. At the same time, goalies can't get too demanding that everything be tailored to them. There's a danger in that as well. And we heard that from Carter Hutton last year, if you remember Hutch at Ingle Mag. We ran a five-part series with him. And the one thing that he thought was sometimes we get into too much of a, his words, goalie school mindset as goaltenders, where, yeah, okay, practice isn't ideal, but it also can't always be the other way, where it's always just a drill where you know exactly where it ends and where that shot is coming from. That's what he means by goalie school mindset. 100%, yep. that's, that's where he says he focuses on some of his technique, but he, he recognizes the importance of getting outside of that technique, and sometimes that's just battling through some of those drills in practice. And I think part of this for younger goalies is, you know, the tough situation is the coach wants you to try on everything, and you know you're, you're building bad things. You know, I don't know about speaking up as a young guy, I, you know, I'm not playing in peewee anymore, so I, you know, I don't know how that works, but at the pro level, they, they really feel it's important for them to, you know, almost find that balance within themselves. When do they go out and compete? Uh, when do they have to just let one go in because it's not doing them any good, but it's easy for them to do because they've been doing it for a lot longer. Well, sure. And you know, it, it is hard for a young kid to speak up and God forbid goalie parents out there, please don't you go be talking to the coach about how to structure his practices for your kid. That's not going to help anybody. Um, but for me, it's also finishing off every one of those drills. So if, uh, if a player comes in, takes a shot, peels away from the net so the next guy can come in quick with the second rep, uh, that's not a good habit for a player too. So if a coach were to reinforce that every rep has to finish off by following those rebounds, uh, yeah, you lose the goalie school mentality at the end of that drill, which is good. And the players uh, learn good habits, Kev. Well, and I would say that yeah, this is, this is one more thing. If, Maybe you don't want the goalie parents going and talking to the coaches, but I would argue this. If we structure practices around game situations, which we agree is better for goaltenders in general, for sure. the way to sell that to coaches who maybe aren't willing to change some of their old school ways is it's going to be better for your players too. And we've I've seen this up to the NHL level because there are bad practices in the NHL. We have NHL goalies that tell us all the time, practice builds bad habits for me because it's crappy practice. So it's a problem right up to the top level. 
But the reality is if you pitch, and I've seen this, some minor hockey organizations have done this successfully, there's no point. Uh, these shots that are unrealistic for goaltenders, they're unrealistic for players too. We see practices at the NHL where guys will take 10 shots with time and space from spots they won't get all season or maybe once in a season. Why are you spending 90% of your practice practicing shots that only take place, you know, 2% of the time in game situations? You will get better goaltenders and you will get better players if you structure it around a more realistic game scenario. Nothing in the slot, nothing through the middle wide open. Hutch, love your comment about just picking a guy. If you're doing the horseshoe drill or a flow drill, whatever, just pick one guy that uh, that you're going to focus on stopping and the rest uh, almost go through the motions. A great start to the uh, viewer interaction and listener interaction. Really too bad that you guys didn't have much to say on that. Uh, let's get to our to our listeners. And uh, the, this one comes in to at Ingle Media. I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. One of you mentioned the best pegs for beer league. Can you tell me? what they are. I've missed the answer. Thank you. Uh, Woody? Yeah, no, um, I use Anchor Pegs, uh, and you can find them online. Uh, they're a company, they're, they're based out of the east coast of Canada, I believe Halifax or in the Maritimes, your neck of the woods, Darren. Um, they started, they developed originally a peg where the, the bottom two metal pieces, which are kind of like sharp edge screws with grooves in them, um, they were fixed. Now they have adjustable ones. They've expanded the line several times over. Um, they were the first one I got introduced to, and and frankly, I've facilitated or sold them to uh, probably half a dozen to ten NHL teams where I had their product at the rink, and the NHL goalie coaches uh, I showed it to them, and they ended up purchasing it. And for the most part, they like it. Um, they are a little pricey. Uh, I will say that I've gotten to the point now, though, I can't even go into a beer league game. I bring my own pegs because you just say to the referees, listen. It's not gonna, you're not going to have to deal with me knocking the net off all game. You're not going to have to get angry and call stupid penalties that shouldn't be penalties. I can play goal the way I've learned to play goal, and that includes leveraging in and out of my posts. Um, to me, it's worth it. I bring two sets. I ask the other goalie if he wants it. If we're switching ends, it's great. But they are a little pricey. They're like close to 160 Canadian per set. Um, there are some cheaper alternatives out there. I haven't tried them yet. The Piranha Pegs uh, by Bandits Goaltending have a three-prong system. Uh, like I said, we haven't used them. I love the Anchor Pegs myself, but Jeff Saleka was here with the Detroit Red Wings last week. They had, or a couple weeks ago, they had to practice at Burnaby Eight Rinks, which is a facility that doesn't have Marsh Pegs, NHL game pegs drilled in. So he brought his own, and they were the Piranha Pegs, and he really likes those ones, and they are a lower price point. So those are two I take a look at. Like I said. Uh, good experiences all around for me with the anchor pegs. But if you're looking for maybe a cheaper alternative, I believe the Piranha ones are a lower price point. That question from Mark. Uh, here's question number two. What is a good age for a young goaltender to really start specializing and engaging in goalie-specific training? Minor hockey teams rarely have a goalie-specific coach. So to advance in a skill, a private goalie coach is almost necessary. I understand that a variety of activities paramount in developing an athlete, but is there an age when a kid may have missed the boat in terms of developing a goaltender that can make it to midget AAA or the collegiate level? That's from Kenneth in Montreal. Hutch, take that one. So many layers to that question and so many, so many things to address. Uh, first off, I think never too young to start learning the position and learning the basic skills of the position. Um, for sure, in some areas, uh, the kids don't have the support they'd like, but I, I think it's entirely possible for uh, 
regular coaches to learn some of those basic skills to work with the youngest kids. Hockey Canada now has a curriculum to support coaches to, to be able to work with their goaltenders. And, uh, and absolutely, as young as possible, start working on those basic skating skills, basic movement skills. Those have to be repped in at a fairly, fairly young age, if, if you can. Uh, specializing, though, is a whole nother question. And, and one we've talked about, Kevin, a whole pile. But, but I, I really don't believe that a goaltender should be forced to specialize too young. Uh, unfortunately for us, uh, out here on the West Coast, at least, on the, at, around the Adam level, if a kid is playing rep hockey, they're, they're forced to choose. And I think that's too young, um, both because kids shouldn't be forced to make a decision where they might enjoy playing both sides. Um, it, it continue to develop their their game skills, continue to develop their skating skills as a forward. And and gosh, it's just terrible to see a ten year old kid pinned to the bench for half the games as well. So uh, I, I wish we didn't force kids to specialize, and I don't think you should have to. Um, you know, and and then the other side is when do you, when have you missed the boat? Gosh, that's a tough question as well. But uh, I, I can tell you that at a rate around age 12, 13, um, you can see some kids, you, you start to see the kids coming together. Uh, those kids that were really standing out as seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. Um, the other kids who didn't get as early a start um, are definitely catching up. And, and Kevin, I know we've talked about some NHL goaltenders that they got to start fairly late, 12, 13 years of age, and still made it to the show. Yeah, and I think one of the keys here is you can start early, um, but how long before you should only be doing that? And I, I think that's where the answer kind of changes. We heard that from Billy Ranford, right? Like play other sports. And I know it's easier to say than it is to do. Hutch, you're living that right now. There's not a lot of time with all the demands, uh, even at a young age. But physical literacy matters. Um, and anytime you have an opportunity, I, I mean, honestly, the one thing that bugs me the most about having to have two goaltenders uh, in rep hockey at way too young an age in Canada is the fact the second goalie can't go out and play as a forward. We've heard it from Braden Holpe, uh, both in In Goal Magazine and in private conversations I've had with him uh, over the years about how important it was for him that his dad wouldn't let him just be a goaltender until he was 13 years old. He was able to play out. Alex Stalock, I had a conversation with him recently about the same thing. He talks about how blessed he was in Minnesota that the minor hockey organization he played for allowed him to also skate as a forward. He skated as a forward, played a game in Bantam as a forward, and he's in the NHL as a goaltender. And what these guys all tell you is when we talk about goalie school goalies and getting into that preset puck goes here, 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 I move this way, this way, that way mentality, playing as a forward allows you to sort of redevelop that innate ability to sort of read the patterns of the game yeah. and see it from the other side. And whether it's Holpe or Staylock or other goalies, they believe they're in the NHL, NHL now in part because they were able to continue to play as a forward. And I think forcing two goalies on kids as young and nine and 10. And so one's on the bench and one's on the ice and robbing of that, them of that opportunity. There's an opportunity cost uh, for those goalies. I get it. I get why they do it. I just don't always agree with it. Well, the flip side is, I mean, there's a lot of kids who want to play goal, and, and if you pick one goalie on a team, somebody else is not playing at as high a level as they could, and we got to be fair to them. One, one thing I wish we would do out here that is not permitted by BC Hockey uh, is if a kid is a rep goaltender, wouldn't it be nice if he could play as a forward on a house team? And uh, because he probably doesn't have the skill to skate as a forward on the rep team, as I can say that about my son. 
Um, or, or, you know, we want to develop more goaltenders. Uh, how about we let one of our rep forwards go play goal in house league? Um, that's maybe an interesting compromise. I know schedules make those things really hard, but, but if it's about the kids and about developing them, I think we should be flexible. And one thing to be, I don't say careful of, um, you know, I, I, I have a friend locally who coaches, uh, as an assistant coach on a bench with his son's team. Son's not a goaltender, um, but he played in the NHL and as a goaltender and so he watches his kids come out of you know you talk the, the listener talked to or the reader or listener do we call them readers or listeners guys they talked <laughs> they talked about in the question about goalie specific training well in this case um he watches the goalies come out of their goalie specific training and they get into games and they're just absolutely glued to their posts in reverse vh and <laughs> These kids can, can, he's asking them, so, so where'd you learn that? Oh, it's all we worked on the whole time at our, uh, at our weekly training session with uh, the local, local goalie school who comes out and runs the weekly training session. Well, these kids should still be working on their skating and they're working on advanced techniques on the post and there's nothing advanced about them if you can't move in and out of them uh, and don't have the edge work to manage them and it just creates bad habits. So, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes it can be a bad thing I guess the emphasis would be skating. It's all about mobility and movement. Uh, to me, at that young an age, it's the goalie coaches that stress those things, competing, skating, uh, and, and, and aren't worried about making sure the parents like it, that their kid's learning an advanced technique, frankly, before they're ready for it. Next question comes from Thomas in Calgary. How common is it for pro goaltenders to spray or apply lubricant to the inside of their pads to aid in sliding. Water repellents are often discussed as something that can be applied to the inside of a pad. For example, like Scotchgard or heavy-duty water repellent is a popular one to aid in sliding. And I've always wondered if pro goaltenders sometimes do the same thing. Woody? I think mostly the answer is no, because most of them are, uh, they have, newer equipment, newer pads. And, and this is something that companies have been on for a little while now. I think Bauer led the charge with their Odin line uh, with a new material that slides better on its own, doesn't need a lubricant. Uh, we've seen CCM follow suit with the speed skin, which we're now seeing NHL guys adopt. Pecorine wearing speed skin on his pads this year. Uh, interestingly enough, a, a trend that starts at retail and is followed at the NHL. Um, Brian's uh, with their Primo, uh, almost like a, an advanced weave on the inside edge, slides better. And then guys in the NHL who just feel like they don't want to slide any better, like they like the control of what they have now. I don't know any guys that are spraying stuff on their pads on the regular basis. I think a lot of people caught Henrik Lundqvist spraying something on his pads at the All-Star game a couple of years ago. So I asked him about it last year, and we'll listen to what he said. <laughs> Oh yeah, water. Oh, what's it Water, water. I, I don't like uh, the gear being dry. I like it soft. That's just a personal preference you always have. Not always, but last couple years, I don't like when the equipment doesn't move with me. So when it's dry, I feel like a robot. That's why I like it soft. And so you just spray a everything, arm and chest, pants, pads. Yeah. When it sits in the room, it gets so crisp. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like the beer. I used product. to like it dry. Now I like it soft. So it's, you change over the years. You evolve. Yeah. You're always evolving. So there you go. I think a lot of people on the internet, a lot of sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, Instagram type goalie accounts, uh, thought that 
Henrik was spraying something to make his pads slide better. Well, guess what? Henrik loves how his pads slide. Uh, he's been a big part of the innovation with Bauer that's kind of led this charge to pads that do move better, that produce more active rebounds. Um, and for him, it's just all about a feel. And you heard it right there, like right his chest and arm, everything. It's just water, guys. There's nothing fancy in the bottle. Well, I've heard of guys putting like ski wax on their pads. The guys in, that are men's league that that haven't bought pads in in the last five, maybe ten years, and they've bought they put ski wax on their pads just to aid in the sliding. So, what your just reaction to that, Hutch? I think uh, a lot of professional skiers would tell you you better have the right uh, wax technician to pick right. out the right wax for the, <laughs> the conditions. Uh, gosh, so much emphasis on on sliding, and if you watch. You watch a game today or a game five years ago, and most goaltenders are trying to beat every shot on their feet. Because if you beat it on your feet and you get set, you're ready to make a stop. And those slides are more for emergency situations, if you ask me, Kev. Yeah, and uh, hey, listen, I don't mean to dismiss uh, that option, Darren, at the beer league level. But the question was obviously directed towards, do NHL guys do this? Right. I think we've seen Hutch, you mentioned Passaw. As a company that has a yeah. product you can spray on your pad. So if you're if you're using a pad, like like we're blessed at Ingle, right? We get new equipment all the time to test from these companies. So we get the latest and the greatest and the slides the best stuff. If you don't have that luxury, it sounds like there are materials out there that you can spray on an old-fashioned Gen Pro that's going to allow you to slide better. Like goalies have been doing this forever too at the NHL level. Not the spray, but the materials that slide better. We saw goaltenders use Weave which is kind of like basically an early edition of speed skin, an early edition of uh, the Primo Bowers is totally different, but those are, those are sort of similar types of materials. You could have weave on your pads for a different texture. Some goalies would put weave on the inside edge so that they would slide better. I think Corey Schneider, like right back in his first days with the Canucks had it on there. The difference is for those of us buying at retail, weave tends to wear a little faster. NHL guys obviously don't care. They get pads whenever they want them. And that's why companies went out and found materials like Speed Skin, like the Primo, that have the same qualities in terms of sliding better, but aren't going to break down as fast as a weave might. Come a long way from how much oil do you put on your glove when you break in the GP21 or GM21, whatever it was back in the <laughs> back in the day. Oh, one final one for you. This is the one I asked right off the very top of the show. When you guys scrape your crease, do you do it uh, top to bottom towards the goal line, or you go side to side like on on the posts? Don't I'm scrape just throwing anymore. that one at you. I don't even. Scrape you don't anymore. scrape anymore. No, really? No. I I have to because I'm using the Bauer 2s Pro and it slides better. So I I need to scrape it to slow myself down. Because because <laughs> be, between my inabilities and and how lightning fast those pads are, I had to go sliding right out of the frame. I I believe that actually happened when I played in the Canucks Autism Network uh, tournament last week. Chris Higgins on a breakaway. Um, let's just he undressed me so badly that I was worried about photos or video being produced on on just how... But then I realized I wouldn't have even been in the frame because he went this way and I went that way. And I think by the time he tucked it into an open net, I was in the right face-off circle. I'm going to blame <laughs> the good sliding pads and not the fact that uh, NHL guys are just that much bloody better. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, they definitely do make a difference. So I... So do you scrape back to front or side to side? I go side to side. I, you know, I just uh, like like post to post. Uh, no, yeah. not post to post. So like side to okay. side. Like yeah, like I'm I'm cutting across the crease side to side. All right. Uh, you know, people do the Forsberg goal. A guy slide right into the corner, and 
<laughs> they're, not, they're not even in the net. Uh, nice job on the on the listener uh, inbox. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys obviously have some passion and some some real uh, ideas there. And uh, I want to do this more often if you guys are open to it. So okay, always good yeah, talking goaltending. Yeah, we just got nice. to hit, we got to hit the abbreviate button on Woodley. <laughs> okay, we can get that little light, not a red light, but uh, we'll bring in a light. Uh, there is uh, Hutch and Woody, and uh, we're welcoming you to send us your feedback and your questions about goaltending, whether you're a goaltending coach, whether you're a head coach, or whether you're a goaltender or a goaltending parent. Thanks for listening. We appreciate everything that you do to support the In Goal Radio podcast. I'm Darren Millard. Make sure you keep your heel down and your toe up. <laughs>